0: Any Cowboys fans in here?
1: I thought this was my story. You're already jumping in?
0: I'm just excited about the game tomorrow, but go ahead. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, yes, uh, this is a um, kind of an older case. Uh, I, I myself have kind of I've, – I've wanted to do this, and I kind of waited. Uh, my family uh, knows some of the people involved in this case, and so it was kind of a little um, – I don't want to say sensitive, but it's just uh, I didn't really want to – I had to act, kind of get – I don't want to say permission as well, our, but our
0: source did not want yeah. to be exposed. We'll say that
1: our source is my father. So, <laughs> uh, so my father knew knew one of, the, one of the some of the people involved in this case, and so. Uh, but now the um, uh, most of the parties are um, in jail, dead, and or kind of a, a recluse, and so I, I feel like. My father's not going to catch any grief for this case. But uh, this story is about an, uh, a Dallas cowboy that was murdered in 1996 um, here in, in Dallas, actually, University Park. His name was Colin Ridgway. And so he played for the Cowboys back in 1965.
0: Babe, hold on one second. Has anybody heard of this case? No. Oh, see, I love this. Go ahead. I just like to ask that before I start. Okay. Sorry.
1: Well, thank you. <laughs> Now we know. Carry on. Okay, excellent. So played for the Cowboys uh, quite some time ago, back in 1965. But he was um, an Australian athlete, uh, actually an Olympian, who got a college scholarship. He came over here and was kind of discovered by Tom Landry. Uh, this gentleman never played one lick of football in his entire life. And so the first game he ever played was at the Gold Cotton Bowl back in 1965. But they thought he was going to be a project um, Tom Landry had, um, you know, just said they were going to coach him up and, and kind of, um, you know, get him up to speed on everything. Did not last very long, a total of three games. So that was his stint in, with the Dallas Cowboys. However, he did make a lot of contacts. And back then the Cowboys, you know, they were kind of up and coming, but still being a, a an NFL football player. Um, you know, you met a lot of people. And uh, this gentleman was very large in stature, very charismatic. And so he did – he enjoyed his time here in Texas. And so he, you know, after – essentially being cut from the Cowboys. He went back to college and uh, settled down here. Uh, but while in Texas, since he was a very charismatic individual, he met a lot of people uh, back then in the kind of late sixties. Uh, Dallas was an interesting spot, believe it or not. Uh, lots of nightclubs. Uh, there still was kind of a little bit of an underworld here. Uh, may, well, there may still be one now for all I know, but this was shortly after you know John F. Kennedy was murdered uh, here in, in Dallas. And so, um, you know, he'd be seeing a lot of these local establishments, and so a lot of people made a lot of friends. And but one thing he was very good at was he had a lot of great ideas, kind of like branding. <laughs> he just do. didn't really have a good implementation man. <laughs>
0: which like, I, why like I have me. you?
1: But uh, but yeah, had a lot of great ideas. One of the things he really had a niche at was um, which was very popular, from what I understand. And speaking with my father, because um, he used to run a couple of nightclubs back in the and back in this time. Um, was that they had these travel clubs that people would join, and so they would, uh, you know, kind of high rollers. People a lot of these clubs they wanted to go, you know, go to these fancy establishments. And uh, actually, we kind of met this couple over here at one of these little things. <laughs> actually,
0: we did. for, for
1: WinStar uh, Hotel, we were supposed high rollers. Uh, but they would uh, they would sell these uh, memberships, these travel clubs, and they and they actually would go on trips, and they would they would fly to Mexico and and things like that. Uh, the only thing is, it just took a lot of money. Uh, they they also would kind of oversell them. And so they were selling a lot of these uh, travel club memberships and not really delivering a lot of things. And I think at one point they accumulated enough money to buy a, a 707 where they would fly people. However, I think in one trip in, in Rio de Janeiro, they were unable to, they were scrambling to find money to buy the jet fuel to actually get back to Dallas. Um, and so. My father actually knew this gentleman. He had sold him a car. My father was in the car business here in Dallas uh, for many, many years, wholesale car business. So there was always some interesting characters uh, showing up at this car lot, especially given it was a wholesale car lot, if that tells you anything. So, uh, but yes, all kinds of different people would come through here. And so my dad knew a lot of these people. And so um, actually knew this gentleman as well. Um, but, you know, as the years progressed, he kind of had a lot of failed business in and out of the travel, travel agency business. Um, and he married a woman, um, by the name of Joan, and so Joan kind of had um, some ties to this.
0: We have I, another Joan in one of our cases.
1: That's great, right I should let you know that we'll talk about them in a little, little <laughs> bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, so she uh, she kind of had some ties to some of these unsavory characters as well. It just so happened the two of them had met. Uh, they did end up marrying, and they were probably married about fifteen years. Um, you know, uh, once he ended up. Um, eventually being murdered at their home in university park. Um, So essentially our, our ties this case is that um, I say our ties, my father's ties that um, she, you know, like I said, he knew, knew a few of these individuals involved and one of them was named uh, Kenneth Bicking jr. And so he was good friends with this woman, Joan. And so essentially in 1993, um, Colin and his wife arrived back at their home in university park Uh, he walked inside. Um, she supposedly was watering her, the, the garden in front. Um, and then according to her story from the police, uh, she walked in and saw, saw her husband laying on the ground, uh, with eight bullet, you know, bullet holes in him dead. Um, of course the police show up. They initially said everything looked kind of fishy, you know, it just something didn't add up. Right. She's claiming she didn't hear any of the shots. Uh, she actually had called the nine, you know, when she made the nine one one call, uh, was saying she was thinking her her husband was having a heart attack, which um, seems oddly strange when he he's bleeding yeah. everywhere. Uh, so the police, you know, like I said, the police arrive. They obviously um, you know suspect there. Uh, there's a, well no suspicion. There's a murder that's obviously occurred. Her story doesn't add up, um, but they really don't have a lot of evidence to go on. And so you know she's not taken to jail immediately or anything like that. Uh, but, as they kind of look at the scene, you know they, they just really can 't figure out well, you know this, they started looking at this guy, and they do know that um, he has had some relationships with you know some uh, some criminal element uh, here in Dallas um, since he was going back and forth to Mexico one, one of the um, one of the stories that his wife had said was that um, you know he was dealing with drug dealers down there mm-hmm. running drugs yeah. and stuff like that, and so uh, you know they kind of looked at this as well too but one thing they did notice is that about two months prior to his death, um, was that she pulled, she initiated a $500,000 life insurance policy on him. Mm-hmm. And so that immediately kind of cued them, uh, that, well, maybe there's something kind of going on here. Um, one thing in there, you know, that they did, um, that was kind of interesting as well too, is that just out of the blue, uh, this woman had called and her name was Karen. And, um, claims that her ex-husband had admitted to her that he had murdered Colin Ridgway, And so they're like, well, you know, obviously who's your, what's your husband's ex-husband's mm-hmm. name? And they start looking and his name is Kenneth Bicking the third. And so, you know, they, this guy is not, uh, he's kind of an unsavory character too. He's, he's from Florida. And they start looking at he actually was wanted for, um, suspicion one a, you know, under suspicion for a 1992 murder of a um, I guess would you say a, a I, I, they list him as a cocaine kingpin he basically was a guy that had been caught for running drugs he had a mm-hmm. had a sport boat business that he built boats and, and had but he did have some uh, business dealing with this guy but the guy was found murdered in his house fifty thousand dollars was missing and uh, he was under suspicion never never uh, brought to jail or anything like that no indictments were ever made. Uh, but they also had a report, too, that he was wanted for the um, under suspicion for a rape of a woman. Uh, same year, uh, I believe it was, um, might have been Tallahassee, Florida as well. Uh, once again, no indictment was ever made. But they start looking at this guy and um, realized that she, they really didn't have a great paper trail, but they did notice that she had a $5,000 withdrawal from her bank account. And as they look into this Kenneth Bicking the third. um, he had deposited $5,000 cash into his bank account four days after the murder. Well, they also realized that he just so happened to be in town. Uh, the night this murder occurred, his father, Kenneth Bicking jr. Lived in Denison. And so as they dig deeper too, they realize that his wife, Kenneth Bicking jr. Is, um, they're friends with Joan. And so all these things are kind of starting to add up, but they just really have any hard evidence. Yeah. Um, so my father was um, was friends with Kenneth Bicking Jr. Uh, I can remember him coming around a lot. And so, um, you know, once again, too, after this whole story had occurred, this was something that was kind of always discussed. And you would say, oh, you know, they did it, they did it, they did it. But, you know.
0: But no one was ever arrested for this murder. Well, Is it a-
1: that's the thing. They do, um, you know, three years this investigation goes on, they really don't have any hard evidence. But they decide to go ahead and pull him in for the for the, um ex-wife statement. Uh, they do bring an indictment against him. Um, he I believe he stayed in Lusteret for about five months here. Uh, however, the grand jury never brought any charges because basically the conversation he had with his ex-wife was considered a privileged conversation. Hmm. And so, let free, 1996. Um, her daughters as well too, um, this, you know, Colin was her stepdad or their stepdad. Um, they always believed that Joan had had something to do with this. Uh, She, too, was brought in. You know, she passed a lie detector test. They could never bring any charges against her. Uh, But, you know, just all these things were adding up. Life insurance policy, uh, money missing from her account, money going in this other, you know, this other guy's account. Everybody kind of knows one another. And, um, you know, it's... Basically, so then
0: nobody ever, so then they, so they let him out. She's never arrested or charged with anything because no. she passes a lie detector. Cold and case. Are,
1: cold. The only, and cold. It's, so it's the only case. Um, it's the only unsolved murder murder in university park. Um, and so police are still, you know, they're kind of, they've, it's, there's have still, you know, as they're kind of progressing, they're still always looking into it. Um, the, they did find kind of an unexplained um, hair, uh, uh-huh. But of course, in 1996, there were DNA technology, uh-huh. was not quite like it was. Uh-huh. Um, and so it wasn't until 2011 that um, they actually were able to test the hair. And they kind of thought they had this was going to break the case. However, um, it showed that it did not belong to him. And uh-huh. so it was just kind of once again. But it, he himself, too, they did have another um, supposed witness that didn't, you know, kind of want to remain honest that said that he. Uh, Kenneth Bicking III, that is, that he had um, that he killed him. And his dad, his dad helped him. His dad arranged it and everything. And, uh, you know, he was the only one involved. Uh, according to some of our sources as well, too, there's always been some suspicion that there was a University poli- uh, Park police officer, too, that was kind of involved in this and kind of helped, um, you know, possibly to collect some money. Um, we're not going to stand was by Joan,
0: that. Did they ever check in to see if Joan was having an affair with that other guy?
1: No. I mean, I guess they were just friends. No, that wasn't. She just, she just knew his father okay. uh, and, and, uh, and his mother. Her, oh. The mother and uh, Kenneth Bicking's wife, I apologize, I don't know her name. Um, I think it's Sabra. Uh, they were good friends, and it just so happened. But, like you know, I said these were all kind of some unsavory characters that knew other unsavory characters yeah. that kind of hung around here in Dallas, and uh, somehow my dad is linked to them. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but, uh, so, but basically they tested his hair, and uh, it wasn't yeah. him. You know, they're like, we have nothing to go on. You know, we, what are we going to do? But yeah. you know, in 2014, they're actually, uh, interesting enough, there is a, um, a big break, um, in the case for the, you know, the 1992 rape of this woman that he was always suspected for. And so in all this time when he was released in 1996, um, he did all kinds of stuff, um, you know, mm-hmm. robbing, uh, you know, assault, this and that, but they, um, as they started testing, uh, and this woman kind of brought it back, t- uh, I guess into the light. Uh, I guess they actually it was a district. I can't remember exactly who it was that brought her case back into light because she always said it was him. Uh, oh, great sin- case! Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so since all these, all the things that he did leading up mm-hmm. to um, his eventual arrest, uh, he had had many, many swabs, and so they kind of linked the two and come to find out they had DNA evidence that they had saved from her. Um, tested with him in 2014, and he ended up getting arrested. And he's, you know, currently serving two life sentences um, for um, for this. I think it's two. Yes, two in, life sentences.
0: Here in Texas?
1: Yes. Crazy. For kidnap, no, in Florida. Kidnap oh, Florida. and rape of a woman. And so. Uh, oh, that's why he's two life So he was never, ever convicted of the, the murder of Colin Ridgway, although it's just one of these things like, this guy did it. Everybody knows he did it. He's, he's, he's admitted mm-hmm. to it to people. Um, you know, he, he admitted to his wife and she, you know, but basically it was inadmissible in court. Uh, so he's certainly serving, uh, serving his time, um, yeah. for doing something bad. It's just, you know, he, he's done multiple crimes, even the, even the murder of the, uh, the, the supposed drug, drug kingpin in, in mm-hmm. Florida. I mean, the guy wasn't the greatest guy, but it's still a murder, uh, it still remains unsolved. His daughter has tried to bring this uh, to forefront, too, because supposedly there was another person that was there the night he murdered this guy in Florida uh, who, too— Oh,
0: eyewitness to it. Not an
1: eyewitness, an accomplice. And oh, he actually—they they dug up uh, some video evidence from a confession um, that was never brought to light. And so what they suspect was is that since it was a essentially a gentleman that was involved uh, in drugs, mm-hmm. it was murdered— uh, they were more interested in his drug dealings and people he was involved yeah. with, not so much the murder of him. And so I think, uh, his family too, is really kind of, uh, been reaching out to try to get his case solved. And I think this undiscovered, um, uh, confession has, has, come to light. Uh, this is something kind of recent as well too, uh, whether or not charges will be brought against him. So, I mean, essentially he has two, two murders that he's potentially involved in that he's never been, no, f- f- well, there were formal charges brought. He was, you know, they were,
0: that's kind yeah, of crazy I'm, this is the only unsolved murder in university park it's not kind of a lot of murders in university right, park everybody's
1: right. familiar with university park yeah. uh, here it's a very affluent neighborhood and so uh, there's like a policeman on every corner there i
0: bet you you could go to a lot of people in university park and they've never actually heard the story honey i'm willing to bet. Uh,
1: and I, I myself remember it to be on the news but i always remember it as a kid because we always my dad would always talk about it and i knew this guy and i can remember him distinctly and just uh Uh, Probably didn't see him after the mid-90s, but, uh, you know, uh, always carried a gun, you know, 357, although he had such a big hand, looked like a small gun in his hand. But Mm -hmm. there was all kinds of people coming in and out of that car lot back in the day. It was uh, always an interesting scene.